the Oregon career of Bo Nix, an exhilarating two years, and it reflects very well on Oregon and Dan Lanning. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you have not already, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, review wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks. If your team wins, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. So we'll talk about Bo next, talk about standouts from the Fiesta Bowl, and Oregon has its first transfer portal departure following the bowl game this season. But Oregon has won 12 games for just the sixth time in Oregon, excuse me, in Oregon football history. That's a pretty good accomplishment. But I was thinking about Bo next because Bo Nix and Dan Lanning came in together at the same time in the same offseason. Nobody really knew for sure whether or not everything was going to work. Sure, on the surface, it looked like it was a good hire, the right hire. And it, after one season, looked like it was a good hire, the right hire in bringing in Dan Lanning. But sometimes coordinators don't work out as well in their second season or third season. You can look at Dave Aranda at Baylor, a good program. He had a great first couple seasons. The last two, not so good. So I think that Lanning's doing a fantastic job. And I think that Bo Nix is a great example of how good a job he is doing as Oregon's head coach. Because when you think back to the narrative of Bo Nix and just think about the roller coaster ride of his career, and I love seeing him talk about this stuff too, because he's so passionate about it and he loves college football and he loves Oregon. And I think he loves at some level Auburn as well, but obviously it went a lot better for him with the Ducks. And that is what I want to talk about here. The narrative around Bo Nix was Bo Picks, was he makes some great plays, but he's inconsistent. Well, he's not supremely accurate, but he can make some good throws. Well, he's you know a little bit more of a runner than he is a refined passer. And over the last two years, teaming up with Dan Lanning and coming to Eugene and everything that Oregon has had surrounding Bo Nix over the last two seasons has completely transformed him from a guy who would be maybe a late-round flyer in the NFL draft to, in 2024, according to Mel Kuyper Jr., he is the number six quarterback prospect out there in a year in which you're going to have probably three guys at least taken in the first round. Uh, I mean, it feels like there could be you know four or five if the chips fall a certain direction, but Bo Nix is going to be somebody who I don't think he goes past the third round in this draft. And that's a credit to Dan Lanning. Now, is Dan Lanning's offensive coordinator? No. I have long pushed back and will continue to push back on the notion that just because somebody is a defensive coach or comes from that side of the ball and is not the offensive play caller, that he has nothing to do with a quarterback's development or the way an offense looks or how it performs. Not just because the head coach, Dan Lanning in this instance, is making the offensive coordinator higher in which he has gone through an interview process and come to understand, I see these values and this is what we want to do. And I feel like this translates well with what the quarterback skill set is. It's not just that. It's also that, 
you know, in film study? Do you think that Bo Nix has watched film and Dan Lanning has never been there? You think they've never watched film together? Do you think they've never talked about what they want to do offensively? I've always found that notion to be ridiculous in both college and in the NFL. But I think for Lanning to have brought in Bo Nix and, and had a great supporting cast around him, given him an even better team in 2023, and Bo Nix elevated his game alongside Lanning elevating the team overall, I, I think is a testament to what Dan Lanning has done over the last couple of years, how hard Bo Nix worked to be the best version of himself, and the way that Lanning ha- has just clearly got that kind of it factor as a head coach. I mean, the only thing really missing on Dan Lanning's resume right now is beating Washington this year. That's it. And by the way, I'm recording this show at halftime of the college football playoff game. Washington's very good. It's funny. I had a I had a friend who's uh, a Texas fan, big Texas fan, went to school there and everything. And um, he was texting me during the game. And he said, you know, uh, I, I texted him saying, I tried to tell you Washington is legit. He thought it was ridiculous because I picked Washington to win the game. And he said, yeah, I knew they were good. I just didn't expect them to hit all of the deep balls. <laughs> It's like that meme of, uh, I think it's James Franco when he's in the noose as like a pirate or something and he looks over. First time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was his first time. Anyway, so not being able to beat a, a a team that is playing at a national championship level in Washington, that's some slim pickings when it comes to the knocks against Dan Lanning at this point in time. And I think that Bo just continued to get better. I think that Lanning and the team have continued to get better. And I'm excited to see what happens in 2024. And I think as the Ducks look at the landscape in the Big Ten, I fully expect them to be a conference contender because I believe in Dan Lanning. I think that he's going to have another really talented team and he's going to have a good quarterback in Dylan Gabriel. Now, let's uh, transition into something else I wanted to bring up, and that's the individual standouts from uh, Monday's Fiesta Bowl thrashing uh, of Liberty. So Tez Johnson and Treshawn Holden are the two guys that – that I want to start with here. There are other names that I thought played very, very well. Uh, Jordan James was phenomenal. And without Bucky Irving next year, I feel so good about Oregon's running back room. Jade Lamar, Noah Whittington, even coming off an injury. I think think we're good there. Tez Johnson and Treshawn Holden both had really good games. And I think that Holden is someone who can slide in to Troy Franklin's role and play it pretty well. He did that against Liberty. Is he going to play better secondaries? Yeah, of, of course he is when Oregon is playing you know, Big Ten opponents next year. But I look at the way if – you, if you look at the touchdown that Treshawn Holden caught, it was a great throw by Bo. It was really well-timed. It was you know a great concept from Will Stein to have the double post against a single high safety and get Holden isolated with the corner. The little shimmy that he gives at the top of the route – I think that dude spent a lot of time watching Troy Franklin trying to be like him. And boy, he looked a lot like Troy Franklin on that particular play. He had a great sideline catch as well. I think if he stays with the Ducks, and that's my expectation, I think he could be maybe the number two wide receiver next year, depending on who Dylan Gabriel happens to to fall in favor with with the wide receivers, because Tez Johnson could be the number one guy. I, I mean, Franklin goes down and Bo Nix, we know that he loves Troy Franklin. Hey, did you guys know that the, the Tez Johnson is Bo Nix's adopted brother? Did you guys know that? Did you get, if you didn't, you learned that yesterday. So a joke, of course, but allow me to defend the people in the profession that I hold so dear for, for just a moment. 
as Oregon fans, we have tuned into nationally televised broadcasts week in and week out and heard about how Tez Johnson is the adopted brother of Bo Nix. And, you know, I think they told that story in greater detail during the Fiesta Bowl. When you're calling a game that is nationally televised and you are a neutral broadcast crew, even if you're someone like Bob Washusen who had called an Oregon game before in the same uniforms against Washington State, as it were, you are speaking half to Oregon fans, but you have an entirely new audience. So I know that we, you know, we're just making, like a lot of people are making fun on on Twitter and whatnot, myself included about, you know, oh my gosh, we've heard this so many times. Why do we have to hear it so many times? Because A, you have different announcing crews that come in and B, the announcing crews are not always talking to the same people all the time. They're talking to the same Oregon fans, of course, but the fans on the other side, the Liberty fans or other casual college football fans, haven't heard that before. So that's why, you know, throughout the course of the year, we heard many, many times that Tez Johnson's the adopted brother of Bo Nix. But Tez Johnson also happens to be an outstanding football player. I, I mean, outstanding. And I didn't really know what to make of his arrival to Oregon. I knew he was a great route runner, according to PFF at Troy. I knew he was small and fast, but you know, the, the connection of Bo Nix made me think, ah, you know, he might, he might be a role player this year. He might compete for uh, snaps and have some playing time and whatnot. He just set the Oregon single season record for receptions, which Troy Franklin set about a month ago, but Franklin opted out of the bowl game. So it's Tez Johnson. So that guy is really, really good. Can he be a number one receiver in 2023? That's a fascinating question. I have another fascinating question for you before we get to that one. And that's, have you gone and checked out FanDuel yet? Because the NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get 150 bucks in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. Remember before it was, you just need to have a $5 winning money line bet, which would have been easy, no sweat, Oregon over Liberty. But now win or lose, you get 150 in bonus bets. The app is super easy to use too. There are so many different ways to bet, like live same game parlays. You can find new bets in the new Explore tab as well. Make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best place to find popular parlays. They've got spreads, over-unders, and so much more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Second segment sip completed and we roll along. Tez Johnson is really good. Oregon hadn't had a thousand yard receiver since 2018. And because Bo Nix was so great this year and completed so many passes, Oregon had two of them this season. And Nix and Johnson, their connection this season was fantastic. Here's what I love about Tez Johnson, though, and why I hope he returns to Oregon next year in 2024 or for, for the 2024 season. We're in 2024. Time flies. I'm old anyway. So I'm not that old, but I feel old sometimes. Anyway, so Tez Johnson is somebody who is not a number one receiver in the traditional sense. However, he is a guy who, as we saw this year, can lead your team in receiving yards. What do I mean by that? When you're coming into certain situations in a football game, there are times where you've got to have a big bodied receiver. If you notice Tez Johnson and the plays he made this year, how many times was it on a shot down the field? Not very many times. Those smaller guys who are nimble like that, they do their best work around the line of scrimmage or the, the, uh, the line marker to gain the first down line. 
that's where Tez Johnson was lethal. And then yards after the catch. But that's not something that we want to stop him doing. You don't want to say, well, you know, now we need you to step into this role over here. No, I, I think you look at a guy like Jerry on Dickey or Kyler Casper, who each had one catch in the Fiesta Bowl and say, OK, one of those guys maybe steps up. But you put Treshawn Holden out there or Gary Bryant Jr. out there. And I, I thought that we might see a little bit more of either Casper or Dickey in this game. We really didn't until until the reserves got into it. But I think that for the Ducks, you, you got to have a guy who's a more big bodied receiver on the outside. You want Tez Johnson to play the same role he did this year. And if he leads the team in receptions again, great. But he's not someone typically who you're going to line up a lot on the outside. He, he, you know, goes in motion a lot. He plays from the slot. He's just, he's lethal that way. And so I think that that's where Oregon wants to keep him. I think that's where they should want to keep him, assuming he returns, which I think he will, but cannot guarantee. And on the outside, you need a big bodied receiver. That, that's just, you look at offenses all across the country, the guys who play on the perimeter offensively, they're a little bit taller. There's a reason for that. It fits into the offense. And I think Treshawn Holden can be that kind of guy. I don't think he's necessarily Troy Franklin is going to have a, you know, 1400 yard, 14 touchdown season or whatever Franklin's ungodly numbers were this year, which were both Oregon single season records. But can he be, you know, close to a thousand yard receiver if he's put into that position? I 100% feel that way. I think Holden's really, really good. So that's where I feel uh, on the receivers there. Those two guys definitely, definitely stood out. So too did Jordan James. I, I, I mean, Man, that guy looks good. <laughs> he led the Pac-12 in yards per carry this year, and he was Oregon's number two running back to Bucky Irving, who was, of course, a stud, had a great game. And I, I just – I continue to be amazed that across every single coaching staff, Oregon's running backs are just always good. They're always good. If you look back at the last 20 years of Oregon football, the, the worst running back tandem – is probably C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye. And by the way, Travis Dye was Oregon's entire offense in 2021. And C.J. Verdell had, I think, a 1,000-yard season in 2018. I, I, like Those guys were both wildly productive. Were they the best talents Oregon's ever had at running back? No, I don't think so. But guess what? They were really, really good. And, and they had great offensive lines to run behind with Mario. But I, I just, that position for the Ducks, it's just, it is always good. I think quietly, Oregon is running back you out west. I don't know who would be in all of college football, but ever since, I mean, even predating LaMichael James, you had Jeremiah Johnson, you had Mo Morris. Yeah, like there, there were just some really, really good backs. Jonathan Stewart, list goes on and on. Uh, so I, I think Jordan James is going to be the next one of those guys. I mean, absolute stud. I, I tweeted out during the game is Jordan James somehow getting better? I, Felt I feel like he is. I don't really know how that's possible, but guess what? He his his ability to identify the hole and hit it hard and run with physicality and just fall forward. He's outstanding. He he is outstanding. I don't think he does as much in in the lateral movement. You know, I think he's closer. I I think he's like a CJ Verdell plus kind of running back, whereas Whittington has got a little bit more side denied side to side shiftiness to him, but. Jordan James runs through tackles and he is physical and he is explosive. He has got explosive speed. Uh, he he really, really stood out in that game. How about Roderick Pleasant? How about Roderick Pleasant? Did not play much this year because the secondary had a lot of depth. I thought Pleasant might be someone to slide up the depth chart, and he was. And he was on the field 
forced to fumble late in the game. And that was great because that gave Austin Novosad a chance to move the ball down the field a little bit and showcase what he can do. And I liked what I saw. If you want to hear thoughts on that, go to go to yesterday's show kind of towards uh, the end of it. And I talked about, you know, what Austin Novosad did put on, put on film, but I, I thought that, you know, he was off to a little bit of a rocky start, but once he settled in, made some nice throws, looked like he was in command, in control, looks like he's bulked up a little bit and he's got a good arm. So uh, I, I thought Novosad did well, but Roderick Pleasant going out there and just laying the lumber on a guy, forcing the fumbles at Grisham recovered it. I, I thought that uh, that was a fun thing to see. It, you know, Jurion Dickey made the catch and kept his feet a little bit. It wasn't really given like a big, big opportunity there. But I, I think Jurion Dickey could be one of those guys, you know, he, he wasn't healthy most of the year and kind of just got healthy and, uh, you know, only played in mop-up duty. He and Kyler Casper both. I, I don't think that Oregon has a need at wide receiver. I really don't. I, I think they've got enough talent there, uh, and I thought that was I thought that was encouraging. One guy who we were also waiting to hear on for an NFL decision is Jeffrey Bossa. He once again was everywhere, and I think he's such a tone setter for the defense. And you know, he's the guy relaying the plays when he's out there. I thought Jamal Hill had an awesome game as well in his final game as a duck. He's had a really nice career, but yeah, Je- Jeffrey Bossa stood out to me as well, and, and I thought that Bossa had. Uh, a nice game again and just was productive active around the ball a lot and I really want to have him uh, back next year so those are kind of my my individual standouts uh, shout out to Camden Lewis as well his Oregon career has, has come to a close and he ended it with a perfect day I, I know it wasn't a perfect season from him but last two games he played very well he had a lot of touchbacks and he made all his field goals and his extra points so uh, you know, good for him to end it like that, but uh, definitely looking forward to hopefully having a consistently reliable kicking game throughout the course of next season uh, for the Ducks. But, you know, as I talked about previously on the show, you never know. You never know what's going to happen with uh, with all that sort of stuff. Uh, this question came in from Rick. Uh, mailbags always open YouTube or Twitter. If you want priority, go over to subtext as as well. Link in the description below wherever you listen to or watch this show. This question from Rick via the Twitter mentions mailbag after watching Tez today, love the old school number two. And then the word day nice um, as kind of the wide receiver one option. I feel like coming back next year could have a huge impact on his NFL draft stock. What say you? I don't know that his draft stock can change much after the year he just had. You, you, you set an Oregon single season receptions record. You went over a thousand yards And when the guy who was ahead of you on the depth chart, or at least in the targets department throughout the course of the year went away, he steps up and has double digit catches for close to 200 yards and a score. I I don't know how much higher the stock can really go for Tez Johnson. I mean, I don't think he is going to be able to change anything. He also blocked this year better than I thought he was going to be able to, because he's not very big, but I don't think that's what he would do in, in the NFL. I think his draft profile from now to next year, yeah, if you have a a monstrous statistical season, it can always go up. But I think that, you know, given what he already is, which is a great player and just had an outstanding year at the Power 5 level, and, you know, the fact that he is a smaller guy and he's pretty thin, but he's got great speed, good hands, and fantastic route runner, I don't think a big season next year is going to change how the NFL draft scouting community views him. I, I don't think it changes it in, in a significant way, which hopefully that leads to him returning to the Ducks. Because if you're Dylan Gabriel, 
you want to have that guy as a go-to underneath and help you with the yards after the catch as well, and he's great at that. Another mailbag question. This one from Nathan. Hey, Spencer, good game and great reaction show. Appreciate you. Put a nice bow on the season. Get it? Bow? Yeah. With, <laughs> with his speed, what do you think about Luke Moga playing as a running back, one with a lot of tricks up his sleeve, a legit quarterback arm, track speed, etc.? Think there's any chance Stein builds some plays around him on the field with Dylan Gabriel? One of my favorite TDs of 2022 was Nix's touchdown reception. That was against Colorado. Go Ducks. Um, no, no, I, I don't think so whatsoever. I, I think Oregon's got more than enough weapons to not need Luke Moga, who is a fantastic athlete. I think Will Stein said he's going to be uh, one of the fastest guys on the team. If you're talking just straight line speed, Moga is a dynamic athlete. He's more of a project at quarterback who, you know, certainly won't be the starter in 2024, probably wouldn't be in 2025 either. And we'll see what he would do the following year as, you know, a redshirt sophomore and where the quarterback room is at at that time. But I, I think that having someone like that, it, it's it's great and all, but it's not something I feel like Oregon really needs to do because there are a lot of other dynamic playmakers who you want to get the ball to, who have great speed, who have a lot of athleticism. And I see where you're coming from with a trick play. I remember when Darren Thomas was the backup to Jeremiah Masoli in 2008, I think it was. You know, there was a trick play in, in the Civil War where they, you know, Thomas was like the second or third quarterback on the depth chart and they pitched it back to him and he threw a deep pass and it was completed like just inside the pylon or something. I forget who caught it. I want to say Jeff Mail, but I could be wrong about that. I, I don't think that that's going to be in the cards. I, I think that Will Stein has got uh, plenty of tools at at his disposal. So uh, fun, fun question, though, because Moga is a dynamic athlete. There's no doubt about it, but... I don't think that he's someone that uh, that that sees the field for the Ducks in in 2024. Doesn't mean he never will, of course. But that that's something that you know we'll we'll get to see him in the spring game. I would think Oregon will have four quarterbacks there: Gabriel and Moore, Novasad and Moga. So that'll be that'll be fun. Uh, but until then, yeah, I, I don't think Luke Moga is going to make a ton of noise on the depth chart. But maybe he surprises us all. Who knows? Uh, but definitely intrigued by his physical upside as time goes on. Um, before I get to, uh, well, yeah, let's, let's do Jake Shipley first. So Jake Shipley is the first transfer announcement for the ducks after the bowl game. The transfer portal window closes the day that this show airs January 2nd. If you played in a bowl game on new year's day, my understanding is that you have a little bit of time to enter the portal. And then of course there'll be another transfer portal window in March that, that players can enter. And for guys who have already entered, you can come out of the portal at any time. You just have to go into the portal by a certain time on January 2nd. Again, unless you have a, a bowl game conflict in there, in which case the NCAA gives you a, a little bit of leeway. But Jake Shipley's a guy who has played more than you would probably think if you looked at a snap count over the last couple of years. I think he and Amari and Winston both are, are not often the most discussed names. Amari and Winston, by the way, Made a really nice play in the bowl game. Had a uh, had a pass deflection that I believe was on fourth down uh, as as Liberty was moving down the field late in the second half. But Jake Shipley is, is someone who was just kind of a rotational guy, and you know was solid. Did some nice things every now and then. Wasn't a majorly impactful player, but played meaningful snaps. And I, I'm not too concerned about this loss at all. Not that he isn't a, a solid player. I just think Oregon has a lot of good players 
on the roster. You know, we saw a lot of the freshman defensive linemen, which was kind of a peek behind the curtain for who could see the field the most in 2024 along that defensive line. Ashton Porter played at that defensive end or edge position. Uh, they, you know, list them kind of separately on the depth chart, but uh, he was in there. And I saw Amari Washington on the field, a defensive tackle, a good amount. I saw Johnny Bowens out there. And I think there was one more. I'm trying to think. No, I think those are the guys who who I saw who who I saw the most. Devin Jackson was on the field at linebacker a, a good amount as well. But I, I I think that for the Ducks, the depth at defensive end slash edge is really good. It's it's really really good. And you've got Elijah Rushing coming in as a five star true freshman. You've got other players along the defensive line in the 2024 class as well. Breland is is an interior guy. He's the other five-star recruit. But, I mean, with with Mateo Uyunglele and Blake Purchase and Tatum Tuioti, that's a great foundation to have of experienced sophomores going into next year. And Amari and Winston. Like, that's probably your two deep right now at the defense, at the edge position. Uh, so I, I think that – Oregon will be just fine there, but uh, wishing the best to to Jake Shipley. He played well in the Holiday Bowl last year against uh, North Carolina as well. And Dan Lanning, by the way, 2-0 in bowl games. Don't hate that. Given time to prepare, other teams preparing for you as well, 2-0, that's no, not bad. Uh, okay, this question came in from James. couple questions. He asked about, uh, imagine Bo spending four years with the Ducks, and then also whether Michael Penix being a lefty caused problems for the Oregon secondary. I'll answer the second one first because it's really easy. Penix being a lefty has nothing to do with it. He just throws a ridiculously accurate football. It's honestly insane. I I was texting with Roman Tomashoff of Locked On Huskies, you know, as I was watching Penix play uh, against Texas. Again, I'm recording this during halftime of that game, so I don't know how it's going to end. But I know that Penix had 250 passing yards in the first half on not a whole lot of completions because his deep balls just it's right on the guy's hands every time. And I texted him. I said, so is watching Penix how you guys felt watching Mariota, where the guy's just really, really good. He's a really nice, humble guy, which he is. I've met Michael Penix. He's a really, really nice guy. And you just think to yourself, I never want to see that guy play again. And he goes, uh, yep, 100%, spot on. Like, that's just what it is. He, he's just really good. He's really good. His deep ball is ridiculous. And the wide receivers are insane. It has nothing to do with him being a lefty. He's just really good. Now, the other question you posed is, is a curious one about Bo Nix. And what if he'd spent four years with the Ducks? Well, when he first would have come to Oregon in this hypothetical, it would have been during the Mario Cristobal era. Cam Ward just decided to go to the NFL draft instead of going to be the starting quarterback at Miami, which if those are your options, I think historically speaking, given the data that we've got, is a good decision. Because Cristobal's track record with quarterbacks is terrible. I mean, Herbert never reached his full potential. Tyler Shuck didn't fully develop. Anthony Brown, not very productive. Tyler Van Dyke took a step back. Four examples right there. Bingo, bango, bongo, and bingo again. Not where you want to go. So, you know, I talked on Locked on Pac-12 about the idea of Cam Ward going to Miami, saying this, this is not where you want to go. This is not the spot, and he is not going to do that. So. If he'd come in during the Mario Cristobal era, it just goes to show you coaching matters a lot. Coaching matters a lot because when Herbert's gotten even NFL coaching, not good NFL coaching, but NFL caliber coaching, barely, with the Chargers, 
he exploded into a top five, 10 quarterback in the league immediately better than what he had shown consistently with at Oregon. I think his wide receiving core uh, being improved also played a part in that. But for Bo Nix, I think that his time at Auburn compared to his time at Oregon, like I was talking about earlier, is a reflection of how important the situation you are in and the coaching that you are getting and the players that are around you. He was sacked 10 times in two years at Oregon. I saw this stat. Someone tweeted out. I apologize because I forget who did it, who did, but he was sacked 10 times. I think it was, might've been Scopel. He was sacked 10 times in two years at Oregon. In three years at Auburn, he was sacked 50 times. That's an insane difference. And that combined with Oregon having better offensive coaching and a better overall team and a better coaching staff than what Bo Nix had at Auburn contributes to his success. So if Bo Nix had been at Oregon for longer, as long as he'd stuck around when, you know, Lanning arrived. Yeah. He would have been the same sort of guy, but you have to look at the situation that he's in rather than saying, Oh, well, what if, you know, this Bo Nix had been at Oregon in 2020, no guarantee he would have been the same sort of guy. He would have had a different head coach and a different offensive coordinator, a different quarterbacks coach uh, back then. I wanted to close with a quick note on basketball because uh, I'm a huge college basketball guy. I am excited about the prospect that this Oregon men's basketball team has got. Uh, the women's team has had some some high highs and some low lows. It's been very up and down. The men's team certainly has not had a perfect year, but those who are basketball fans, I, I have had people send me questions before about, hey, is Dana Altman still the guy? Is, you know, should we still like Dana as our coach? The answer is unequivocally yes. The fact that this Oregon team, battling an absurd number of injuries, particularly in the front court, in which they have had to regularly play a walk-on big, Ryan Cooper, who's done an admirable job, by the way, and that Mo Diawara, who has done a fantastic job with what he's been asked to do, was going to be Oregon's number three big this year at the center position, and he's been the number one. Oregon is 10-3. and three. They beat USC and UCLA to begin conference play. It gets a lot tougher now. And, and they're going to drop some games here. But th- this Oregon team has and, – and Jesse Zarzuela, by the way, was a contributing guard earlier this season. He's out for the year. Mookie, Mookie Cook, five-star small forward, he hasn't played yet. He's going to make his debut Thursday against Washington. Really interested to see how that goes. Washington's a good team, and it's going to be a really tough game in Seattle. But the fact that that Oregon team, with all the injuries and all the youth, is 10-3 and three, is a testament to – what I have said, which is I still believe in Dana Altman. I don't think he has lost it. I do I do not subscribe to the notion that, ah, Oregon's got to be looking for this. Would you like to see him get back to the tournament this year? Yeah, they should. Yeah, they should. It'd be disappointing to not get there. But also the, the health and the injuries he's dealing with is just crazy. It's it's crazy. And part of it is, yeah, and Folly Dante's been there for several years and he's never been able to stay healthy. But the Nate Biddle injury has been so fluky. And to lose both of those guys and have no interior presence, KJ Evans is your Kwame Evans Jr. rather has stepped up in a huge way, a huge way with his defensive presence. But it's not the same as having Biddle or Dante in there. And I, I think Altman's coaching job has been fantastic. I'm excited to follow this team throughout the year. I will continue talking about them on the show. If you ever got questions, of course, let me know. But I I just felt like that was worth mentioning because Oregon getting through that schedule at 10 and three and two and O to start conference play. Yeah. That's a heck of a coaching job by Dana Altman and he deserves credit for it. Long way to go in the season, but he's done really well so far. 
Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.